Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stand with me this morning. So good to see you. We're in a series called Family Matters, and how many of you know family does matter? One of the best things you can do is have a great family. One of the worst things you can do is have a dysfunctional family, and it's not going to be good, right? Let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful that you love us, you care for us. We're here to learn of your word and let your word do what it does. It goes into our life and changes us. Lord, bless every person here. And Lord, we're here to open up our ears and have our heart open to what you say to us. We ask and we pray it in Jesus' holy name. Amen. You may be seated. Turn to your neighbors. I'm glad you're here today. I want to welcome those who are watching online and going to watch the broadcast and with the hundreds we've had here this morning, I know there's hundreds watching also online. Um, I want to give you a verse. This is out of Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. And Joshua is about 110 years old, and he is getting ready to die. And he gathers the children of Israel around him, and he's going to share something that's uh, vitally important. And he says, Choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I will just uh, concur with Joshua. If you have the Lord in your house, it's going to be a better house. And if you don't, some things could creep in there you don't want. You know, marriage and family can be very difficult, but on one hand, it's also very rewarding and fulfilling. And I know with a group this size, we have people who've gone through very difficult marital situations. Some have had marital failures and I'm very thankful for the grace and the mercy of God. And God can put us on the right track, even though our heart is hurt, and we've had some very difficult times in our past. Uh, many of you will recall, about three weeks ago, we had an ice storm in Oklahoma. And there in the greater Oklahoma City area, there were about 200 and something thousand people without power. And Aaron and Natalie, uh, my kids uh, up in the city, they were also without power. And they went about six or seven days with no electricity. And it was cold, and the only heat they had in the house was the fireplace. So they took all the, the mattresses and put there in the living room, and they slept there in the living room uh, on those six or seven nights. I asked Gary, and I said, how was it? He said, well, the kids loved it. They thought we were camping out. He said, Natalie and I, not so much, sleeping in the floor with all the kids. And so about uh, four or five days into this, he said that... Uh, Riley, my uh, almost two-and-a-half-year-old, said, Dad, let's go somewhere. It's warm. There's chicken wings and macaroni and cheese. <laughs> oh, what, what, out of the mouth of babes, right? And when I heard that, I thought, Papa's house. It's warm, and we can have chicken wings and macaroni and cheese. But, you know, we're here not just to be learning. We're, we're learning to live and live the abundant life. We're not here just to change, but we're changing so that we can have the life that we want and the abundant life that Jesus Christ gives us. And this is what I know about change. Change is incremental. It's step by step, here a little, there a little. And usually we don't have this huge change all at one time. Someone said marriage is just like a walk in the park. I just didn't know it was Jurassic Park. And uh, it can be very difficult. I shared this in the early service, and I want to share it with you because I want to be very transparent. You know, Carrie and I have been married over 46 years, and in those 46 years, we've had a lot of difficulties, we've had our challenges. Sometimes she said, I love you, but I just don't like you right now, and uh, I think a few times I might have felt the same way, 
But one of the times she came to me and she said, Mike, whenever we have an argument, intense fellowship, or we're not getting along good, she said, in the conversation, you always try to make it uh, like it's always my fault. And uh, ladies, that would have been a good time for you to amen me right there, but I'll, I'll preach by myself. Uh, but sometimes you don't know you're doing things unless someone points those things out to you. And sometimes it's difficult to do that, and it seems like we can be... Uh, uh, really offended by those things, but how many of you know you're not going to get better unless things change? And no matter what age you are, or how long you've been married, things can change. Several years ago, the Los Angeles Times, the newspaper, did a survey, and they surveyed uh, over 2,000 people. And one of the questions they had on the survey was, "What is one of the main goals of your life?" And overwhelmingly, this is what the most people said: uh, to be happily married. You know what that's saying? We want to have good relationships in our life. We want to be happy in relationships. You know, God had a relationship with Adam, Adam with God, but God knew that Adam needed human relationships. And so he made Eve, he put them together, the two shall become one flesh, and from that we all know that we need to have great and good relationships. And even when we're married, it can be overwhelming and we can have those relationships and good relationships can be made better and bad relationships can be made better so no matter where you're at on the scale it can always get better how, how many of you know getting better is better than getting worse can i hear an amen so we can improve on the relationships in our life now the question is how do we do that i mean how do we get there the last time we were together, uh, Matt talked about prayer. He talked about getting the roles right in relationships, and all those things are important. Uh, we talked about communication, how important good communi communication is, uh, the power of our words, the impact of what we say, uh, not only the impact of what we say, but the tone of what we say, the body language of what we say, how we say it. You know, the proverb says, life and death are in the power of the tongue, and so our tongue is very important in our communication. But today I'd like to address some other issues we have in marriage and maybe some things that uh, we need to watch to protect our marriage and also some things that uh, we should be on guard. Now, most of the reasons in America today, people say that they uh, break up and you'll see this on uh, declarations of divorce is because we're incompatible. Say that with me, incompatible. Big word, what does it mean? We're incompatible. Well, usually it means we don't have loving relationship, we don't have good communication. Uh, sometimes as we argue too much, we have excessive arguments and insults and abuse. Instead of a playground, it becomes a battleground, right? We're, we're at each other. Uh, we, we don't have a, non, we have a, a problem with a non-supportive spouse, uh, different values, different visions, schedules, different outlook on life, different view, different future. We're just not going the same way. Now, some of the lines on incompatibility sound like this. Well, we just grew apart. Have you ever heard that? Just grew apart. We want different things out of life. They drive me crazy. He drives me crazy. She drives me crazy. You know, for some people, it's just a trip around the block. You'll get that on the way home. Uh, we don't love each other anymore. We were in love. We fell out of love. I mean, uh, all of those things are, you know, things people say about incompatibility. But I'm going to give you three observations and really three truths about this incompatibility thing. So if you're taking notes, you might want to just, uh, you know, jot this down. Uh, I, I'm probably going to rattle your cage a little bit, but I'll smile while I do it. And, and I may insult you a little bit, but I'll, I'll be happy while I do it. 
because these are things we all need, not just you, but me. And so I don't want you to think that I don't have some of the same issues that you have in, in marriage. Well, incompatibility, first of all, is not a biblical grounds for divorce. So we have to watch that as believers. The second thing is one of the main issues of incompatibility is that we just really didn't know the other person before we married them. We just didn't know them. We thought we knew them. Uh, we were around them when we were dating and courting. But here's the problem. Usually when we date and we court, we always see everybody in the best light. I mean, they took a shower. They put on deodorant, perfume, and they fixed their hair, and they put on their best clothes. But I want to tell you, the first morning after you're married and you turn over in the bed, they don't look that way. Their hair is all disheveled, they have morning breath and all kind of other gaseous things that are extruding out of their body through the night. And it doesn't look like the date. Carrie and I dated for about four years off and on before we were married. Uh, Matt and uh, Stephanie dated seven years before they got married. Let me tell you what I told Stephanie, because Matt's my son, and Stephanie, she's from Texas, and they met at the University of Oklahoma. They dated seven years before they got married, and before they got married, you know, somewhere about the six years, six and a half years, I got Stephanie aside, and I said, honey, if he doesn't propose soon, kick him to the curb. <laughs> I'm talking about my son. I mean, seven years in Oklahoma, that's common law marriage, right? But... You really need to know the person that you're going to spend the rest of your life with. And sometimes we think, well, I really know them, and, and sometimes we don't, because you need to see them in the good times, you need to see them in the bad times. You need to see them, how they react in their anger, you need to see them in their financial situation, you need to see them in, in ways they respond to other people, and sometimes we say, well, we're just not compatible, but we really didn't know the person in the first place. Here's the, the last one here. The third thing, uh, we solved the problems up front, but we decided we could change them after we got them, right? Yeah, I see the issue there. He has an anger issue. You know, she has a pride issue, and she spends too much money, and she does this, she does that, and he, he goes off on this, and he goes on. But once we get married, I will change them. That's why they call the marriage altar the altar. I'll marry you and I'll alter you later, right? And that usually doesn't happen that way. So sometimes we see the issues and we know the issues, but we think we'll change them later. Listen, honey, only God can effectively change people if they allow Him to change them. You see, I can't change you, you can't change me. Uh, people can respond to the change in me, but effectively, I really can't change you. But sometimes we see the issue, but we just think we're going to change people. And we get married, then they don't change, and uh, we think, well, what happened? Well, you knew this up front. So these are some of the things and truths about incompatibility. Here, here's the second thing this morning. Not only is there incompatibility, which is horrible, but also there's infidelity. Say that with me infidelity some of the top reasons that people break up is because of unfidelity and there is this unfaithfulness and sometimes the unfaithfulness is the lack of uh, love appreciation respect intimacy and usually the sexual part of that comes later 
and it is the first front part of that that we don't get our needs met or whatever and then we have that unfaithfulness later that's why it's so important that we meet one another's needs we really have needs in our life everybody does and as partners as that uh, bond in christ we need to make sure we meet one another's needs first corinthians chapter 7 the apostle paul he writes nearly the whole chapter about relationships and in this that i'm going to read beginning at verse number two we're going to read through verse five he gets right under our fifth rib if you will he gets right under Adam's rib that was removed and made Eve, okay? He says, because of the temptation of sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Now let's stop right there. How many of you know I read out of the Bible? Everybody good? I did read out of the Bible. This is so against 21st century thinking. This is so against the culture today. But this is very biblical. And he doesn't stop here. Do not, verse 5, deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So he says some very powerful things here. Now let's look at some observations here. Verse 2, look there at verse 2. He says sexual immorality is a sin and we're tempted to sin. Because of your nature, you have a fallen nature, I do too, uh, there's the lust of the flesh, pride of life, lust of the eyes, and we're battling that. And so he says that sexual immorality is sin, and we're tempted to sin. And every one of us are susceptible to that. Verse 3 and 4, he said, when we're married, our bodies become available for procreation and loving sexual pleasure. We give our bodies one to another you see if we become one flesh then my my body is carries carries body's mine and so therefore he says when we're married we become available to each other listen we're, we're, we're to use the body not abuse the body can i hear an amen and, and so abuse is not part of that verse 5 he says do not deprive one another so sex should never be used as leverage or punishment or a weapon in the marriage relationship. And if it is, then we're really out of biblical context here, and we're going against what the Word of God says. Somebody say amen. The only reason given here to abstain is by mutual agreement. Mutual agreement. So let's talk about just, just a couple of things. I didn't say this to the early service, so you're going to be special today. You, you know, man, if you think your, your, your wife is saying, we, we need to talk more and you think it's too much, just do it anyway, right? Uh, so more communication is better. And ladies, if you think you're, you're, you, as a wife, your husband is coming on to you too much, uh, d just do it anyway, right? Okay, it's so quiet in here. <laughs> and you say, why would I do that? I'm not going to feed that monster. Well, because the Bible says to do that. 
I tell you what, I'm going to preach this somewhere else and maybe I'll get a better response. But notice this. Paul says, but come back together again. The reason is that Satan could tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So this is what he's saying. When someone's deprived, then Satan comes in because he sees the need, he sees the lack, and so what he does, he comes in to tempt and bring that person into sin because the needs are not met. Now listen, sometimes people sin because the needs are not met just because they sin. So sometimes it's not an unmet need, but sometimes it is an unmet need. And, and listen, you can't always define what my need is, and I can't define what your need is. How many of you know your need is what your need is? So we have to understand that. You know, about a year ago, I, I gave this illustration in another message, and everybody reacted to it, maybe you will, this morning. And I used the illustration that if you hadn't eaten in like four weeks or a month or three months or six months, God forbid. And, and all of a sudden, you know, you have this huge desire to eat. Um, it's kind of like when you haven't had intimate relationships for a week or, or two weeks or four weeks or six weeks. And, and, and your wife comes along and says, or your husband comes along and says, just hold me. It's like the person who hadn't eaten for a month and the cheeseburger comes along and says, just hold me. How many of you are with me? And you say, well, I'm hungry. And so we have needs that we have to meet in other people's lives. And so we want to make sure that we don't open up a door to the enemy to come and tempt us and bring us into sin. So when you marry, and this is what Paul says, your mate reserves the right for the deepest intimate relationships of your life is for your mate. They're not for anybody else. No conversation, no communication, no friendship, no intimacy. Our physical bond should be shared on a level that is even close to be equal to your mate. And if it is, that is misplaced intimacy. And when we have intimate <laughs> Relationships with someone, it always tends to lead somewhere else. So most people don't intentionally start to do that. It just begins to happen. And intimacy on all levels should be reserved at that level to your spouse. So misplaced intimacy always undermines relationships. And you hear things like this, well, we're just friends. We have so many things in common. They understand me better than my spouse. Well... I, I decided I'm going to look up where are the most places where people get into misplaced intimacy which leads to an affair. And, and there is actually statistics on that. So here are the six most placed places or misplaced places where you have misplaced intimacy. Number one's at work. So people get around other folks at work and, you know, there, there's things that happen. The second place, and this kind of surprised me, I guess it's because I don't go there much, is the gym. So work is number one, the gym is number two, number three is social media. You begin to text someone, or you Facebook someone, and one thing leads to another, and then there's things said, you're, you're texting things. Then through your so circle of friends and acquaintances. Then when you volunteer outside of the work and outside of the family when you, the spouse is not there on, you know, at a school or an event or whatever and you, you get to working together with someone. You know what the number six largest, most 
frequent place for people to have misplaced intimacy that leads to a downfall? Church. Does that shock you? Church is the sixth most placed intimacy uh, uh, location, and I've seen it right here at Ray of Hope over the years. So we got to be careful that we don't get to the place where we misplace that intimacy. Now, one of the things I want to share with you, this very, uh, be very careful with this, that emotional affairs lead to physical affairs, and most of the time they never begin as physical, they begin what? As emotional. And just because there's failure doesn't mean you have to divorce, you have to separate, but let me tell you, we have to be very careful about this stuff because the enemy's what? Seeking whom he may devour. And he'll devour anybody, right? So we become vulnerable when there's unmet needs and someone begins to step out of the relationship. Here's the third thing. Relationships suffer when there's a lack of intensity and passion. Relationships suffer when there's a lack of intensity and passion. Somebody put it this way. We have ho-hum husbands and worn-out wives. Or we could reverse it. We have ho-hum uh, you know, wives and worn-out husbands. So there's work, there's effort, I mean, there's the kids. So we don't want to lose that intensity as we go through the relationship. But when we're dating, I mean, we're, we're very intense, aren't we? I mean, we're, we're bringing flowers and we're making phone calls and we're doing all these things. We have date night, we have courting, we're romancing, we, we have text. Hey, I love emojis now. Anybody love emojis? I mean, I never used them. I remember the first time I ever sent a text message with an emoji. I mean, someone just put it out. Hey, pastor, actually used an emoji. You know, welcome to the 21st century, right? And now I use them all the time. I mean, I send Carrie little hearts and kisses, and you say, well, there's no words. Well, there's words in there. And so I, I use them today. So we want to be sure that we don't lose the intensity, we don't lose the passion, and we don't lose the fun. I shared this story several years ago, and it's a true story. Um, our anniversary is on June the 7th. And so 46 years, you know, we, we've uh, enjoyed and celebrated our anniversary on June the 7th. But my sister-in-law's birthday is also June the 7th. So we got married on her birthday. And sometimes we've been juggling that day. You know, we feel like we need to go there for her birthday party, and then we feel like, you know, we need to make plans for our anniversary. So this has been a little challenging over the years, but we've always worked it out. So one year, I decided I was going to do something different. So we're going to her birthday party at her parents' house. We're going to celebrate that party, which we did. We brought the kids, we're there, brought the present, we're eating the food, the birthday cake. And I told Carrie, I said, let's slip out of here for a little while. It's our anniversary, and we'll, we'll just kind of drive around for a little bit, and we'll enjoy just you and I to talk about anniversaries. She said, okay, so we slipped out of the house, we got in the car, so we just drove around, and so I started driving toward town, and we're visiting, and then I, I made a left-hand turn, and we're, we're headed you know, north, and she said, we better get back to the party. And I said, oh, no, let's drive a little bit further. So we kept driving, and we kept driving. She said, what are you doing? We've got to get back there. And I said, listen, honey. I said, uh, uh, we're, we're going to go away for three or four days. She said, we can't go away for three or four days. Our kids are back there at the birthday party. 
I said, wait a minute. I said, I've already made arrangements. They're going to keep the kids, and we're going to go for three or four days. And she said, we can't go for three or four days. I haven't even packed any clothes to go for three or four days. And I said, I packed for you. And this look of horror <laughs> came over her face. She said, you did what? I said, I packed for you. She said, how did you pack for me? I said, I went to your closet. I said, three or four days, slid it in there, got the clothes, laid it back in the car. <laughs> Listen, I'm telling you the truth. And we still talk about this today. And she said, I don't have my makeup. I, don't. I said, oh, yeah, you do. She said, what do you mean? I said, I went to your uh, vanity over on your side of the bathroom. I pulled out that drawer, dumped it in the <laughs> suitcase. I pulled out that drawer. I got everything I thought you'd need. I said, you're good. <laughs> hey, passion, love, fun. And you know what? That's been years and years ago. We still talk about that. Listen, it's okay, it's okay to be spontaneous, it's okay to be fun. Hey, hey, put the, the passion back in your relationship, put the fun back in. Listen, some marriages are just a little burning embers, all that's left. And we need to stoke the fire. Can I hear an amen? So Ephesians chapter 5, Paul again talks about this. Verse 25, 26, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. So what kind of love do we need in our relationship? So he lists several here. Then we're going to drop down to Peter. He lists one. So the first one is we need sacrificial love. Say that with me. Sacrificial love. Now notice what he said. He said, husbands, you need to love your wife as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He loved the church sacrificially. He was willing to give his life for the church. Uh, you're above me, that kind of love. You're important to me. Uh, you're a high priority to me. Uh, Christ-like love, that's the kind of love I want to have to you. Let me tell you what works out great in a relationship when there's two servants in the relationship. Because what are both of them doing? They're serving. It's a sacrificial love. Secondly, it's a sanctifying love. Say that with me. A sanctifying love. Now, what is a sanctifying love? If you sanctify something, think about this in the Bible. If something is sanctified, you set it apart for a specific use. You set it apart and you said, okay, this is going to be sanctified. It is holy. I esteem it. It's for a special use. So not only is it a sacrificial love, it's also a sanctifying love. Set apart, special, made holy. Third thing, it is also a satisfying love. Say that with me, a satisfying love. Verse 28, so husbands, you ought to love your wife, love your own wives, you should love your wife as your own body, but he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourished it, nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. So notice three words here. Love, nourish, and cherish. Here we go. Love, nourish, cherish. Those are all great words. Someone is loving me. Someone is nourishing me. Uh, cherishing me. Nourishing means meeting my needs, my appetites. Love, nourish, cherish. Now the last one here is sympathizing love. Sympathizing love. This is what Peter said. 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding. Give honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and being heirs together the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. Now notice that first line. Dwell with them with 
understanding. What does that mean? Well, folks, I want to tell you something. The longer you're married, the more things you understand. Don't push that button. Push that button. Don't say this, say that. So what are we doing? We're understanding them. We're knowing them. We know what their likes are. We know what their dislikes are. We know their behavior. We know how they operate. Uh, th this happens to us, and, and I'm going to tell you, it probably happens to you. You're getting ready to go to the restaurant, and you say, where do you want to eat? And this is what Carrie says to me. I don't care. So I drive into the barbecue joint. And this is what she says. I don't want to eat here. So you do care. So when she says, I don't care, you know what I know? That don't even matter. <laughs> and for sure, don't drive into the barbecue joint, right? Don't, don't go into the service station to get barbecue out of the back of it. Well, that's where all the good stuff is. So, you learn, <laughs> you learn their likes, your dislikes. You know, y yesterday morning, we got up early, and we, we had the kids coming in uh, to the house, and so I got up early, I had to go to Duncan and do some business. So when I drove back, I handed her a, uh, a large extra hot latte with two applesauce donuts. You say, well, how do you know what kind of coffee she drinks, what kind of donuts she wants? Oh, I've learned. I've learned. And listen, I hadn't drank a cup of coffee in 50 years. And it was horrible 50 years ago. But she loves it. I mean, she drinks coffee every day. And so I can order it. I can bring it home. I can fry it up. And no. Uh, I mean, I, I just know that. Why? Because I've learned. And this is what Peter said. He said, husbands, you need to dwell with your wife with under." standing why would you not want to understand that folks i want to just really press this point everybody shows up with issues everybody has struggles everybody here when you got married had junk in your trunk and you still have some and we know that we understand that and you can look at those difficulties, you can look at those burdens, you can look at those problems as an ongoing burden, or you can look at it as a diploma. You say, what do you mean, look at it as a diploma? I learned it, I graduated, I got the certificate, right? So, I am not looking this as an ongoing problem or burden, I look at this as a diploma now, I got the lesson, I learned it, and I don't want to go back and do it again, right? How many of you want to go back to college again? Not me. How many of you are going to go back and do finals again? Not me. I'm glad I got my high school, I got my college diploma, but listen, you can get a marriage diploma because you learned the lesson, right? Or you can carry the burden. Or you can have the diploma. Can I hear an amen? And some of us... We graduated, and some of you, you're going to graduate. The first time we started, Matt and I started this series, there was someone here, a man in our community, a businessman, and he told me, he said, Pastor Mike, he said that was one of the best uh, deliveries of some of the issues of marriage. And this is what he said. He said, I hope all the young people and those who are just married were listening today. How many of you know you, you, you don't know what you don't know? And you don't know what you're going to face 
until you faced it. So I want to tell you from some of us who've been married a long, long time that you need to listen up because we know what works and we know what doesn't work. And we know what the Word of God says, and I'm going to guarantee you, God always has your best marriage in mind and your best relationships in mind. I want to end with this this morning. In John chapter 4, if you'd like to turn there, you can. There is this wonderful account of Jesus going to a place in Samaria. Now, I want you to think about this. In Samaria, there's a group of people, and they're called Samaritans, and the Jews did not care for them because they felt like they were a Mongol breed. And, and I know this is horrible, but that was their opinion. They had intermarried with other countries and other ethnic groups, and they didn't keep the purity of their Jewish blood, and that's, that was the, the problem back then. And if you ever traveled through Palestine, most Jews circumvented and went around Samaria, Samaria because they didn't want to go through Samaria because they felt like it was... Uh, unclean and they, they were being defiled but one time when they were traveling jesus turned to his disciples and this is what he said i need to go through samaria i must go through samaria think about those disciples all jewish boys young men thinking why do we want to go through samaria how many of you know god is concerned about everybody he's concerned about every person and jesus said i need to go through samaria so they go they, they stop at a little town called sychar Right outside the city limits is a well called Jacob's Well. And Jesus sits down by the well. It's at noontime. And he is uh, there and the disciples go into town to get something to eat. And Jesus says, I'm going to stay here. You go on into town and get something to eat. And while he's there at noon, a woman comes out to get water at the well. Now this is unusual because most women would travel together for protection and, and to socialize and to talk. It was their uh, prehistoric Facebook time. And, 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 and so they're, they're there. They're, they're coming out in groups. They come early in the morning to get water for the daily activities. That's when they'd come. And sometimes they'd come late in the evening before the sun went down to get things for that evening. But they'd always come in a group. But here's one soul woman coming by herself at noon to the well it was unusual, and Jesus is there. There's going to be a divine intersection of two lives right here. So she comes, and Jesus said, would you give me a drink? And this is her response. How is it that you, being a man and a Jew, would ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? This is so unusual. You see, she begins to have an ongoing revelation of who Jesus is in this encounter. If you, if you listen to it, and you read it, you'll see it. She sees him as a man, and a Jew, and later as a prophet, and finally as the Messiah. And this is the first time he ever point blank said, the one who's talking to you is the Messiah. To a woman, who's a Samaritan, and he reveals himself to her. So as he asks for a drink, she says, uh, well, you don't have anything to draw from. You don't have anything to drink from. And so she thinks it's kind of unusual. So she's going to uh, eventually give him a drink. But he said, if you knew who it was talking to you, you'd ask me for a drink. And the water that I'm going to give you, you would never, ever thirst again. Now, what does that have to do with relationships and marriage, Pastor? Well, here's the deal. Jesus said, 
why don't you go get your husband? And she said, uh, well, I, I have no husband. I'm not married. And Jesus said, you've been married five times, and the one you're living with is not your husband. Now here's the point, and this is a powerful message. There are some needs in your life that your spouse cannot meet. There are some needs in my life that Carrie cannot meet. I believe there's a God-shaped void in every person because you were created to have a relationship with Almighty God. I was created to have a relationship with Almighty God. That's why this woman, she tried it, she tried it, she tried it, she tried it, she tried it. Her needs aren't met. Listen, there are some needs that your spouse cannot meet in your life. Only God can meet those. And for, the, for you to think that they're going to meet the needs, in, the, the needs in your life, you're setting them up and yourself up for failure. We can meet many of the needs, and we should meet those needs. We talked about those. Here are things that we should do, some things we shouldn't do, correct? But there is a woman, she tried marriage, and it seems like it was a failure every time. And maybe, maybe, maybe she's thinking, these men are going to meet the needs in my life, and it never, ever happens, and she's trying it for the sixth time. And so maybe today we need to look at this and say, hey, only God can meet some of the needs in my life. It's not going to come through my spouse. It's not going to come through my kids. It's not going to come through my friends. It's not going to come through this or that. It's only going to come through God. And so I need to get that part of me fixed and filled because I want the other relationships in my life to work out very well. Can I hear an amen? And if you're here today and you say, well, you know, I, I've had difficulty. We all have. Well, I've had failure in marriage. A lot of people have. Listen, it's not the end of the world. God is full of mercy and grace. Can I hear an amen? But we want to have the greatest relationships and families that we can have. And today, if you're not a believer, you're going to think, well, it's money, it's career, you know, it's education, it's recreation, it, it, it's this and that. Those are all fine. I'm not knocking those, but let me tell you, only God can meet some of the needs in your life. And for you to have that, you have to come to Him because He's already made the first move for you. I mean, you know, He went to the cross. He died. He shed His blood in hopes. And the Bible says this, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And listen, this Samaritan woman didn't go looking for Jesus. Jesus went looking for her. He went looking for her. And today, you're not here by accident. He's looking for you. And I believe the Holy Spirit's moving right now, not only for the hundreds of people who have been here this morning, but the hundreds that are watching, that Jesus is looking for you. And if you feel like, well, I'm a failure, and I've failed, and I've failed, and I've been hurt, and I've been hurt, and I'm empty, oh, wait, hey, wait, you're a prime... <laughs> candidate for good things to happen to you because jesus is wanting to come to you let you bow your head with me this morning we are so thankful you joined us today we would love to hear from you at ray of hope podcast at gmail.com let us know how you were encouraged and how we can pray for you remember christ in you is the hope of glory and hope changes everything